What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. has joined the studio. Ken Milam is connecting. Ken Milam needs to plug and unplug his devices and plug them back in. Ken Milam has now left the studio. <laughs> and Ken has rejoined the studio. You got me now? Hey, there you go. Now there's sound. We had two more bunches of bees that just left. I don't know. Well, one of them died. They were all laying bottom of the box. I don't know what it is. Oh, <laughs> I was about to. I was about to ask you if you actually opened it and looked to see. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, mine. They just left. Uh, they were. They swarmed. Two of mine swarmed out of the. Four. That's not swarming if they leave. They just left. They absconded. But there's still go. bees in there. Then that's not I an abscond. I, I think they, that's what I said. It's a swarm. They, I think they just got healthy and left with the, uh, got rid of the mites and said, see y'all. Y'all, y'all can handle yeah, yourself now. I don't know about that either. What if they were all sick and diseased and they've slowly just been leaving and dying off? Could have been that too. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know nothing about bees. So. <laughs> Well, that's a great way to open the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, the, uh, uh, yeah, before well, we get the uh, expert, I'm the color. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we get too far along here, just uh, a little, little side note that I wanted to mention at the beginning. Um, this is in regards to Tony F and Tony. I uh, just wanted to let you know that Natalie wanted me to let you know that she received your email and was just absolutely thrilled by it. And uh, it prompted her to send me a, a little pointed message that was very cute that stated that she is slowly but surely taking over the world. So uh, thanks for uh, reaching out there, uh, Tony, in regards to questions on natural beekeeping and whatnot. Um, it is greatly appreciated and and definitely it is heard and received, and uh, that was that was a great message. It really tickled Natalie and brightened her day. So I just wanted to throw that out there real real quick at the beginning. Um, yes, <laughs> I, you heard me breathe. Uh, me and Max have been talking, and we've got several swarms up here, and we're taking those swarms our place over at Mason, and we're going to set them up over there. I'm going to have to feed the hell out of them because there's nothing for them to eat over there right now, but I'll uh, put some big feeders on them and keep, keep them fed. And, but, uh, just do the natural thing. Max says, you know, dad, I'm tired of requeening and these bees just not used to Texas. So, uh, he says, let's, uh, let's do the natural. He says, I've been listening to Natalie and less and yeah, let's just do the natural thing. That sounds good to me. Let's play with it and see what happens. So that's all we're going to be doing. So, well, so now I define be... define to me what uh, what this natural thing is you're going to be doing. 
not messing with the bees, not requeening them and uh, such as that. And if if we have a bunch that are just testy as hell, uh, we'll pull we'll pull that queen out and leave her out for several weeks or a couple of weeks, and then put some brood in from another hive. It's a nicer hive. It's still feral or you know they were wild and move those over and let them make a queen out of that bunch or killer and make a gene gene a, a gen three or four but uh that's what uh we're thinking now that's what we're playing with we're, we're, we're going to do that so yeah okay so so now define for me not mess with the bees well, they're going to be in mason, and we're not going to be using uh, poisons and such as that. We're not going to go in there and 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 be opening them up and well, poisons and and acids and such as that. They're going to have to learn how to do it on their own, like they would in the wild. Okay. <laughs> There's there's little key words in here that I'm I'm obviously picking up on. <laughs> so I'm just wanting to make sure that uh, uh, you know, like you said, um, not opening them up. I just want to make sure that we're not using the tag phrase of natural beekeeping as an excuse to do complete hands off beekeeping, where you literally don't ever look at them. Look at them less. <laughs> less than what you already only look at them like maybe once a month or two <laughs> yeah, yeah i opened up the top bars the other day and finally could get in there to well i opened up the swarm and they're running straight on the but and that that trap it's got 30 bars i think it's got 32 bars and every other one has the the uh edge on it the straight edge so to build on so they had you know plenty of uh starter strips in there and they are building right on the strips right straight as they can be now there's several pieces of comb i should have took pictures and sent that to you so uh, one is full full of comb one bar other one is about three quarter and then there's a couple that are, that are about half and then there's one that's got a piece about the size of my palm about the size of my hand in there so i said well we'll just leave them alone they're still getting and there's open nectar in all of them or in the first ones uh so i said we'll leave them alone uh, as soon as we start heading for the Durst, which we're getting damn close to, uh, I'll put a feeder in and start feeding them because those are going to be needing to be fed to make it through the winter. Yeah. You know, yeah. the whole getting close to the dearth for us here in central Texas, normally that would have already started. Yeah. Well, we no, 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 not. Yeah. We would have been in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but right now we're not. And it, it just rained again. It's rained like every freaking day here in town. And, uh, uh it's gonna, it's, it's basically going to continue to prolong the flowers and the nectar and, mm -hmm. Uh, again, you're you're walking this tight line between yes, there's flowers available, but depending on what those flowers are, if it's raining every single day, there may not be very much nectar, or it may be severely diluted nectar, 
that's available for the bees. But once we have a day or so break in there, then the flowers will be able to regenerate some nectar. And there's going to be continued growth of flowers because the rains have kept the temperatures down in the yep. 80s instead of up in the upper 90s to 100s. And so we're we're in this really interesting place. But the the catch to that, though, is that all it's going to take is for the cycle to switch. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like, say, say it rains today, tomorrow, it doesn't rain and the temperatures get up into the 90s. And the next day it doesn't rain and the temperatures go up above that. By the very end of, you know, that week or this week, if we had temperatures at 98 degrees every single day, we would have an amazing flow of nectar for those three or four days in there. And then all of a sudden, within a total of like a week to two weeks max, we would completely transition from this extended nectar flow to a complete and utter dearth because it will switch over to extremely hot, arid, dry, and 100 plus degrees. So we're on borrowed time, which is awesome. Um, I don't know what it's going to mean or do for the bees, but I do also know though that like yesterday, for instance, about this time yesterday, it was 83 degrees with 81% humidity. So Mm -hmm. that, that ratio when your humidity is so high up there also means it's going to take longer for the bees to dehydrate the nectar that they bring in. It's going to take them longer to go through and pull that excess moisture off there because there's so much moisture in the air and that ambient moisture can make it hard even for, you know, nectar that's already been dehydrated down and is at that status of like almost right punny where they're getting ready to cap it. It can slowly pull that ambient moisture back out of the air and raise those moisture levels in the nectar again. So the bees have to continually go through and be dehydrating it, which makes it really difficult. So uh, my projected honey harvest for myself personally is not going to be until August. It'll probably be somewhere around the first or second week of August before conditions are right and I have enough capped honey to justify going through and, and doing a harvest. Now, granted, I could probably go find capped honey today in in small portions because there was tons of comb of completely open nectar and little tiny sections where they were starting to cap it off. So mm-hmm. I could go find some capped honey today and I could do a sample of it and put it on the refractometer and see what the moisture content is. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll go take like a little toothpick and I'll poke open a cell and get a drop of honey out of a a capped ripe honey cell, put it on the refractometer, smash it down and look at it and see whether or not the moisture content is below 18%. If it is, I can go ahead and and start harvesting. But if it's not, then I need to leave that in there so that they can continue dehydrating and make the, the internal climate of the hive more suitable to be able to reach that low number of moisture that they need. So I also don't like doing multiple extractions like I I don't want to drag it out for a month and a half where I'm pulling in here's one box you know that I've taken frames from here there and yonder and I'm extracting them and then a few days later the next week I'm doing it again because I really hate cleaning all that crap it's a mess Mm -hmm. and it's sticky and it's annoying so Mm -hmm. I wait until it's all ready and then I'll go through and I'll do it now that's on Langstroth with the actual frame extractor on top mm-hmm. bars, that's a little bit different. On my top bars, if I found bars that were capped and they were beautiful and they were comb that we could use for like capped honeycomb, 
for edible honeycomb. I could mm -hmm. go ahead and extract that out separately because it gets cut and put into special containers. Um, if I found comb that was older and capped, but it had the right moisture content and it was going to be crush and strain, I could go ahead and put those into a bucket, bring them home and do the crush and strain because that is way simpler to clean up than the extractor. So I'll do crush and strain, you know, if I needed to multiple times a week, that's not too big of a problem for me. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting thing. Um, looking ahead, there's, uh, and I know that a couple of our listeners, it was really kind of funny. Um, I don't know if I actually relayed this to you or not, but, uh, we had a couple listeners, um, send messages in that basically went along the lines of tell Ken to stop mentioning things like La Nina and El Nino, because every time you do, it screws up everybody's weather everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's going on right now, right now we have Seattle and Portland's, uh, weather. Yeah, and they have We're ours. rain <laughs> every day. And they have 100-plus temperature, no rain up there. So all we've done is just switched it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's just, it's everything's just flip-flopped. So yep. the, they're saying long-range-wise that La Nina will return for the fall. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then... For us, again, specifically speaking for Central Texas, we do have a fall flow. And mm -hmm. if the conditions are uber dry, we may not have much of a fall flow. So there may be enough to bring in and satiate the bees enough to maybe raise the winter bees, but not necessarily so much as to have anything substantial to be able to be harvested. Now, that would suck because this year I am wholeheartedly planning on putting all of my honey supers back out there to try to reap all the benefits that I can from this, like last year, massive false willow and goldenrod flow. Oh, because yeah. the honey that it made, I think is by far the favorite, my, my most favorite honey that I've ever had from my apiary. <laughs> so I would really like to maximize that. But again, it, you know, nature could uh, decide to, to, be more Murphy's law, you know, since I'm planning mm -hmm. and preparing for it, it won't do it. <laughs> so well, up here, we don't have goldenrod here and where I'm at and the false will. I'm not sure. I just never could figure out what that was, but we have broomweed or, or the little yellow flowers. Now we'll have acres of that stuff. But that makes some of the nastiest honey I ever ate. <laughs> That's it makes bitter. it makes it yeah, it makes it dark and bitter. Yeah. So and we'll But have you like you like dark honey though. But I don't like the bitter. I don't like that bitter flavor. Uh we had some I had some honey that we took out of a tree uh that was broomweed honey. That stuff was nasty. It was Bitter. I mean, real bitter. Just like uh, if you if a cow eats broomweed or bitter weed, the little yellow flowers, its milk goes bitter. Uh, that's why it's called bitter weed. And once a cow is eating grass and it gets the the weeds with it, it'll ruin the milk. Well, it flavors the milk, makes it bitter tasting, and that's the way this honey was. And I'm I figure it's got to be the bitter weed. I don't know. Yeah makes sense I don't know. Um, anyway. snow on the snow on the prairie and snow on the mountain makes a honey that is supposedly hot 
I don't know that I've ever picked up any type of heat or spice that is to that level in honey before. Um, but we do have sparse amounts of the, the snow on the prairie or snow on the mountain, um, snow on the prairie down here cause we don't have mountains. So the, uh, I have, uh, we have sparse scatterings of it out around the main apiary, but not enough to ever have like, you know, this is the majority of the honey crop, but there are places though that do where there's just tons of it. And that can make for some really Max. interesting honey as well. Max has all, uh, it looks like it snowed on the fields out there. It's just white. And he can't wait to put some bees out there and let them hit that. And I said, well, John says that's nasty honey. So he's looked it up now. Well, it says it is. He don't know what he's going to do. I says, let them make it. And if we don't, we don't eat it. <laughs> we'll use it to put into hives. So I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to clarify this for, for everybody listening. Cause I can hear it on my end, which makes me think that, uh, we'll all be able to hear it whenever it comes to the, the rib, well, the edited version of this, unless I have to chop them out. But I think your signal's cutting in and out because that whole thing you just said sounded like a robot. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> very, very digital and distorted. So, um, anyhow, so we have a, uh, a correction. We have a corrections corner here Yeah, we do. Yeah. that we need to get out there. And it, it goes perfectly in line with how the show opened. <laughs> so, yeah, um, much. last week we talked about hop guard three. Mm -hmm. And then on the bonus episode, we went a little bit more in depth about some of the hop guard three and based on the information that was received, I made some, theoretical, you know, I, I, hypothesi I hypothesized, <laughs> that was fun <laughs> trying to say that. Um, I had a theory, you know, and I went out there and I was like, okay, well, maybe it could have been this, this or this. However, it turns out we did not have all the information. <laughs> so Mr. Ken, well, please enlighten us. <laughs> even in the, when we did the show, I told you I had not opened the boxes up. They just were not coming in and out of the box. I says, well, I'll open the boxes up tomorrow which I did or the next day after we did the show and there's bees in there. Now I don't know if they swarmed on us or if, uh, it just made well, if the hop guard made them healthy enough to swarm or took the mite count down, I don't know. So, you know, there's honey in, in them, uh, capped honey in the, some of the supers not as much as they should be. So I think that, uh, I basically think part of them swarm, but there's still bees in there. And, uh, finally the, uh, they're going in and out. Now they wasn't when I first saw them. Now they're going in and out and bringing stuff in. So I don't know what happened. I, when they swarm, will they still work? Okay, so first, I will come back to that question in just a minute. Um, okay, so when we originally talked about this, we had a 25%, yeah. we thought we had a 25% success rate mm -hmm. because you treated four hives with HopGuard 3. Mm -hmm. One yep. hive survived, the other three were gone. Yep. And gone. the gone, quote unquote, was that they had absconded. And as the conversation went on, I, w I finally was to a point where I said, well, 
you know, where they did they abscond or did they die? Were they all like dead down on the bottom or did they abscond? And he was like, well, I didn't see any bees anywhere. So I'm pretty sure they all left. <laughs> what I didn't realize is that he was doing front porch beekeeping and he didn't yeah. see any dead bodies on the outside of the hive or in front of the hive. And he didn't see any bees coming and going. So therefore they were gone. So in reality, when he went back out and opened up all three of these hives that supposedly were the casualties of war from Hopguard three, all three of them were still healthy and alive and thriving got, and had bees well, inside of them. We got bees inside of them. Almost look healthy. They're not, they finally started moving, coming in and out. It took them a week to get where they were going in and out. So I don't know. So we didn't have a 75% loss or failure no. rate. We didn't have a 25% success rate. It was a hundred percent success rate. Now here's yeah. the, so, so basically take all of the last episode, anything that we said about Hopguard three, take it and throw it out the window. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Doesn't matter. It's still alive. Um, now the downsides to this though, because they didn't get checked for what was it like a month and a half from the time yeah, that you so treated. It started raining. Yeah, it started yeah. Raining. yeah. So we can't say what the efficacy was because to, to figure out the efficacy of a treatment, you have to treat and then immediately when the treatment period is over, you retest. And that's mm -hmm. how you know, did my treatment successfully give me the mic knockdown rate that I was expecting or that it advertises that it will give. So if you did your mic checks and say you had 7%, which is horrific, you have 7% when you finished and you do all the calculations and it needs to be 1%. And then you do your treatment and you come back and you test again and you have 1% or less, your treatment was amazingly successful and you're now below the threshold and you're good to go. But if you come back and you treat again and your 7% only went down to 5 or 6%, yes, there was a little bit of a knockback, but no, again. it didn't have as much success as it needed to. So if you treated that hive and then you walked away and you don't come back and you don't check it again, to get that efficacy and get that drop down, then you never really know whether or not your treatment worked. And then when the colony does crash and die, you don't know why. And so yeah. then you, then you're just left to hypothesize and mm -hmm. it could be, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's just like the old beekeepers that say, I lost my hive to hive beetles or I lost my hive to wax moths. No, you didn't. Those two things will not kill a hive. A healthy hive will always keep them in check. If they're allowed to get out of check, there's something wrong with your hive, and it's not the hive beetles or the wax moths. The same can be said for your treatments. If you treat your colony, and the treatment kills your colony, and you go back immediately after the treatment and you check it, you're going to know that the treatment did it, because you're going to see all the dead bees immediately, and you're going to know, you know exactly what caused that. But if you wait, then you're not going to know, was it the treatment or not? And if you've waited over a month, maybe the efficacy wasn't that great. The mite drop didn't really go down as far as it should have. So you still have a careening out of control mite population. And depending on the type of treatment, all the mites that are under the cappings, you know, they come out three to four fold from what went in and continue that exponential increase. And then suddenly the hive crashes because of disease. If it crashes because of disease, a lot of times when the bee is sick, the bee leaves the hive to go die elsewhere so that they don't 
continue the contamination of their sisters. So the population shrinks because all those sick bees are leaving and dying outside of the colony. That's one potential thing. Yes, they could have potentially swarmed. But again, the only way to ever know is to catch them in the act of swarming or to have a marked queen and go through the colony and check and see, is your marked queen still there? So in this case, if all three of those colonies, hypothetically, had a marked queen and you went in and you checked all three of them and all three of them still have the marked queen, then they did not swarm. So if the population is smaller, then it has to go back to either the viral load from the mites was still so high that it was, you know, it took a little while for that toll to be seen or the treatment may have had a negative impact because like, again, there's, there's no way to know unless you're physically opening your hives, checking your bees and being a beekeeper. So unfortunately that whole thing was misinformation (laughs) and we did information. We did lead a few listeners to be like, oh my God, I'm using HopGuard. All my bees are going to die. And that's not the case. So um, don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't pay any attention to that. (laughs) So um, yeah. So lessons for today are we have to open our colonies and do our checks and inspections. And if we haven't, we should not theorize as to what has happened from the front porch. <laughs> okay. Oh, gracious. Well, is there uh, any other little things we need to throw in here? Any, any final words or parting thoughts? It's going to get hot. It's Texas. We know it's going to uh, watch, you know, watch everything, watch the weather. Watch your flowers and uh, know that you're going to start feeding sooner or later this summer. And when do we start feeding pollen? I'm thinking late October or November. Is that right? Uh, Earlier than that. Oh, okay. Because if you think about it, by the time November hits, for some areas, you're already into winter. So you can't. The whole point of feeding them pollen is to bolster their production of fat winter bees. Mm-hmm. And by the time your area goes into winter, that's already going to be a thing. So a lot of people will start feeding pollen if it's not naturally available again, if it's not naturally available in your area. A lot of mm-hmm. people will start feeding pollen towards the end of August and all through the month of September um, based on what's out there. Now, like for me, it's it's kind of the same scenario where if there's pollen available, like once the goldenrod starts blooming, they're not going to touch mm-hmm. a pollen substitute whatsoever. They're mm-hmm. going to bring in that natural pollen and then they've got plenty to do what they need to do. Um, if that doesn't happen though, or during the summer dearth, whenever that does happen, when there's no pollen available, that's when they really need that supplemental feeding of stuff. And we do just the dry pollen powder, just to clarify mm-hmm. for everybody. Um, and we put it externally somewhere near the apiary where the bees can go and partake of it. If they need it, we don't force it on any of the colonies. We don't put pollen patties inside the colonies. Um, That's just how we do that to help mitigate hive beetle infestations and and other issues. So, um, but yeah, that'll actually happen sooner rather than later. So I noticed that the care the pig weed or careless weed uh, is blooming 
big time, lots of blooms on it. And it really don't bloom. It just makes a shoot. And I guess you call them blooms and the bees aren't touching it. They're not even looking at it. Uh, raccoon got it. I had a bag of ultra bee sitting outside and a raccoon chewed a hole in it. And there's a little puddle of it sitting there. I picked it up real quick and dumped it in a, in a, uh, as soon as I saw it, dumped it in one of my containers, big plastic, tough, uh, some container, whole 50 pounds, uh, dumped it in that sealed it. And I said, well, the bees clean that piling up off the concrete. No, they ain't touched it. They ain't looking at it at all. So apparently there's piling out there from something, but now they are working the crepe myrtle hard and, uh, well, that's pollen. That pollen. Yeah. That's that makes pollen. pollen. Okay. okay. That's what they're working hard early in the morning, not late early in the morning, not late in the day. So Texas A&M and the AgriLife extension, uh, the B lab here in Texas has a lot of their studies and stuff on pollen analysis throughout the year. Crepe myrtle pollen is very prevalent and is usually present in most all of their samples, especially the ones coming from an urban environment. And that is because the city planning divisions have used crepe myrtles extensively. They put them in the middle of the medians of roadways and things like that because they are constantly blooming. And that way they're, you know, they've added beautification to, to the landscape. So Mm -hmm. there's always crepe myrtles and they're in abundant supply because even one crepe myrtle tree will be, you know, completely covered in flowers And then when you have tons and tons of those trees, it makes it for a very readily, easily accessible pollen and nectar source. But it is a subclass pollen. It's it's subpar. It is not the most nutritious and they're not going for it because it is the most nutritious. Typically, they're going for it because it is the most readily available and the most plentiful and so they'll get that and they'll bring that back into the the colony. But it does provide a pollen and a nectar. And so it is advantageous. It, it does help them. Um, if that's the only thing they were to sustain themselves on, that would be a problem. But, you know, to fill in the gaps here and there, it is definitely uh, worthwhile for them. So that's why you'll see them out there on that. Okay. Well, they're still not coming to the to the ultra bee or what we're putting out or not putting out, just dumped it, fell out. So they ain't touching it. It's outside. So but they ain't coming to it. They ain't want it yet. So I said, look, it's always August, usually before they start hitting that pigweed hard. So I'm figuring, well, it's going to be August again this year, probably. Yeah. Well, that's usually because there's not anything else blooming at that mm-hmm. point. Yep. So then the pigweed becomes the only source. I figure the white brush opened up here for long, but uh, that's just more of a nectar source, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Probably so. Probably so. A lot of the blooms that are that shape uh, are bountiful nectar mm-hmm. producers, but not necessarily uh, pollen producing on that regard. They make you know yep. trace amounts of it. So, well, the the last little parting thought that I had. Um, you know, I thought would have been the most obvious and, and was kind of hoping that you would say it, but you didn't. Um, and that is open your hives. <laughs> yeah. Open your hives. <laughs> don't, don't do front don't porch beekeeping. Stung. Don't do front porch beekeeping. 
don't speculate about what's going on inside that colony without actually opening up the hives because a colony can can swarm and that happens within 16 days so if you're not checking your colonies every 14 days or less you're never going to know if it happened because they can build they can take a cup which a queen cup is the little bell-shaped cup that you see and you will always see them inside your colony somewhere they're always there they build them we like to to say that it's practice but they're always present when they decide to swarm they will then utilize those and once an egg and a larva have been put into that cup it then is curl it the terminology switches to cell it is then a queen cell so that's the difference between a queen cup and a queen cell but that okay. queen cell only takes 16 days maximum from egg to emergence of an adult queen and as soon as she emerges they immediately start tearing that cell down back to a cup so if you check it every 30 days that entire process will take place the cup will be just exactly like you thought it was originally and the cell will be entirely gone and if the queen's not marked you'll never have any idea what actually occurred with your colony so then everything that you base all of your decisions on is pure speculation and that can lead to disaster <laughs> so. and if you have a queen excluder on the bottom or on your your entrance reducer on your top bar turned to queen exclude what happens well see that's also speculation because if you're not opening your colony all you're doing is speculating so a queen can actually get slimmed down enough to fit through a traditional metal queen excluder. Oh yeah, we've seen that, yeah. And a virgin queen can often be small enough to squeeze her way out and sometimes back in. So the queen excluder is a 75%, you know, effective rate maybe, mm -hmm. maybe more, but it's not 100% guaranteed. The, okay. the bars can warp and bend, the plastic can you know move, things like that can occur to where th she can find a spot to get through there. And so even with that on, it is, it's more of a hedge your bets. But you can't say that because you had one on, you lost a colony. Because you don't know that that's why you lost a colony. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know where you were trying to go with that because you've said that before. Well, you thought you lost it. I'm just asking you. <laughs> yeah, you've said before you thought you lost it because you left the queen excluder on the bottom of it or on the front of it. Um, and I, I will tell you for a fact, most of my top bars are on queen exclude or 50-50 all year round. Unless I know that they're raising a new queen and I'm allowing them to do so. And then I will turn it to half drone, half open or half vent, half open, where there's a big opening that a queen can get in and out of. But I'm also checking my colonies way more often than you. <laughs> like oh, physically yeah. opening them and checking them. And that's the you key. Know. Physically open your colonies and check them. Otherwise, you'll never know what's going on inside there. Yeah, but if you've had a if you've had a heat stroke and you put that suit on, and in about forty five minutes you're already starting to I gotta go home, if I and cool off. That's why you got to do that. So, you know, my yeah, answer to that: can. get up earlier in the morning. <laughs> I'm gonna do that too. But yeah. I was up <laughs> at five o'clock this morning. Were you? 
<laughs> Hell no. Hell, Hell no. no. I know. <laughs> ain't, no. Ain't no ain't, there ain't no nectar at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> ain't no daylight out there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that but, but see it. but that's the thing though. If it, you can always come up with an excuse, but there's always a solution. So if it's too hot during the day, get up earlier. Go out there before it gets too hot in the day. If you can only stand to be out there for, you know, 30 minutes, then do 30 minutes every morning at 6 a.m. and get all your bees checked. You know, that's that's the 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 counter to some of those different things is that find a time that does work and and be up there, get out there and, and do it. So and that's only because if you want to actually know what happens to your bees and you don't want to be the old time beekeeper that lost his bees to wax moths, um, you have to actually check them and know what's going on inside there to then base your decisions and your beekeeping and help guide that whole course in that action. So, so there and you have old, it, everybody. <laughs> and my, John said, don't get started again, but the old time beekeeper did not have mites say in the sixties and seventies like we do now. That's true. But that's also generalizing insinuating that all old time beekeepers could do that. And they never checked their hives because there was no mites. And that's not correct either. <laughs> well, the old time beekeepers also, most of them are retired. They, they go on the kids and it, well, I won't get into it. <laughs> I know quite a few of them. They say, Ken, that's just too much work. Uh, they, 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 that, one that, of the fishes with his head, 2000 plus hives. And he is, eh, that's just too much work now. Yeah, okay. that's, well, that's true. Beekeeping is, you know, like we, uh, we mentioned it multiple times in the bonus episode last week. Beekeeping is not for the faint of heart. And that's part of it. You know, I, I said your blood, sweat, and tears all go into it. And it is a lot of work. It's a lot of heartache. It's a lot of pain. Um, there is a lot of things that go into beekeeping. It is not a casual hobby if done correctly and if done on a massive scale for certain. Uh, that's why some of them, quote unquote, old time beekeepers are also hunched over and walk funny is yep. because they have spent too long picking up really heavy boxes in awkward positions that they should not have been picking them up in. Yep. So, Oh, them old time beekeepers down South, by the way, ain't happy. They rain too much down there. Oh yeah. We've had lots of rain down South, down on the coast. So <laughs> I'll quit. You, well, even you just as far as, to... even just as far as San Antonio, which isn't that far from Austin, oh, no, they've been getting a ton of rain and it's killed a lot of the crops because it's drowned them. So, you know, when we say a ton, we're talking six to 14, 15 inches of rain in a matter of days. Yeah. Yeah. Down here, it either doesn't rain or it rains all at once. And so when mm -hmm. we get our inches, we get them, you know, literally sometimes in a day, we can have six or seven inches of rain. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and then when you're having one of those weeks where every day you're having three to six inches of rain, it gets pretty drastic pretty fast. Yeah, one of the guides I talked to lives there in Rockport. Uh, Billy was telling me, she says, Ken, we've had more rain with this than we had with Harvey. We just don't have the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Harvey being the hurricane a while back. Yep. yep. So, well, everybody, we're going to uh, leave you with those final thoughts there, and we're going to wrap this one up for the week. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we, uh, we greatly appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you next week.
Yeah, family, let's take care of each other. Y'all be good, and we'll see you next week. Y'all be good. Be safe, everybody. Bye-bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.